Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 25th of February, 2024, 11 o'clock service. David Lofman speaking on Spring Cleaning Our Lives from Anger. I think there's a question people often want to ask me, but they hardly ever do. But an old friend plucked up enough courage and he did ask me the question. Aren't you angry with God, he said, for everything that's happened to you? He was referring to the autoimmune disease I developed when I was 17. It resulted in the amputation of both my legs in 2004. That was a terrible time. And then again, two years ago, I developed kidney cancer which kicked off the autoimmune disease again. That resulted in the amputation of my only remaining knee, the knee that had enabled me to walk on prosthetic legs for 17 years. It enabled me to continue my full-time career as a lecturer. With that knee, I was able to take an active part in our family life. I helped my son play football, a sport he loves. I was able to collect Iona day or night, wherever she was, and bring her home safely. We went on camping holidays to France, Italy, Scotland. But because of that cancer and the amputation to my one remaining knee, it dawned on me and Katie just a couple of months ago that I was never going to walk again. As a result, I had become a permanent, full-time wheelchair user. That's not been an easy situation to accept. Indeed, when Stephen asked me to preach on anger four weeks ago, and just one and a half years since I'd been in hospital, we're still trying to accept and adapt to this new life. It's still a work in progress. There have been times over the last year or so where things have felt so unfair. I've wondered where God was in my life. Anger would seem to be a natural reaction to such a situation. And there have been times over this last year or so when life just seemed to have lost all meaning, purpose or value. And at those times I felt that I had no faith anymore. I didn't feel angry, I just felt a cold indifference to the world. I felt that nothing mattered. I've probably made it sound like that's all in the past, that it's all over and done with but it's all neatly swept away. But it's not. For those of you who know me well, you know I struggle with these thoughts and feelings. They come in waves, and as a result, I take each day as it comes. It's meant writing this sermon has been quite a challenge. Anger would seem to be a natural reaction to such a situation. But I don't feel angry at all. 
So I wondered what I've done with this natural reaction of anger to my situation that has brought me in front of you all this morning, sitting on a platform, in a wheelchair, and looking out to you, almost eye to eye. Well, I think I buried the anger deep inside myself. I think it's so overwhelmingly painful to think about everything I've lost over the years and I think those losses are so profound any natural reaction would be anger. Anger at God who even if he didn't cause it he at least allowed such destruction to take place in my life. So I've not allowed myself to experience it. Not Feeling anger has enabled me to carry on my life. I get up in the morning, I shower, dress, then go to work twice a week. On other days I go to the gym. I help Katie with the shopping and the cooking. We see friends. We're beginning to make plans to go out into central London to galleries, a stroll along the South Bank. We're beginning to navigate the life for ourselves. Experiencing anger at my situation feels as if it would be so powerful. I just wouldn't be able to function properly. I wouldn't be able to work. My relationships with my family and friends would be damaged or destroyed by bitterness. And I can imagine in this state I'd, I'd need other things to depend on to help me through each day, like eating, alcohol, drugs. And there are other consequences to not feeling angry because I've realized one can't just simply turn off an emotion. Apparently, if you turn one emotion off, you turn them all off. Like pleasure or joy or happiness and live a kind of half-life a life in the grey, a life in the shadows. Last summer, our daughter Iona got married to Andrew. It was a fantastic event. We were overjoyed. Well, at least I, I know what feeling overjoyed looks like. I know what it would feel like. The best event of Iona's life. And for Katie and me, a huge blessing. We were so happy, especially when Iona asked me if I'd give a father of the bride speech. And suddenly, I found myself confronting the great weight of anger being ill had created in me. But I also felt the incredible joy as a father, as his only daughter's wedding. As I started writing the speech, I was also writing poems about the anger and loss I'd experienced over decades of disease and disability. One moment I found myself writing about a recent memory of sitting with Iona near the river in Kingston, enjoying the warmth of a summer day, hearing swans, ducks and geese overhead. 
And the next moment, I'm writing about the time years ago. We were all on holiday in North Wales, and Katie says to me, the children and me are going to climb Mount Snowdon today. What are you going to do? There were a million things I could have done. Loads of places I could have visited. There were even people I knew and I could have popped in and said hello to them. But what I did was find a lay-by just off the A5 and I sat there for seven hours facing home. My family and Snowdonia behind me. My thoughts filled with pain, jealousy, anger at being left out on this incredibly special family adventure. The loss experienced in that family memory is so profound, I can barely put it into words. My children's memories of that day are fantastic. Their pride and exhilaration at reaching the summit, even the muscle aches and the sores, the exhaustion and physical weariness are all part of that treasured memory. And I'm not in any part of those memories. I'm a present absence. And over the years since then, there have been many times I've missed out like that. Not only missed out on being a father, but missed out on being a husband as well. Missing out on all these things as well as being angry just feels like too much to bear. In Matthew chapter 5, it's written, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to, ju to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount. In it, Jesus reminds his listeners of the Ten Commandments written about a thousand years, well, a thousand and a half years before. Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 20. The receiving of the Ten Commandments is one of the most important moments in the history of the Jewish people. It's a moment where God gives his people the foundation building blocks of their civilization. The whole nation is gathered together there in the desert at the foot of the mountain. The mountain itself is covered with an impenetrable cloud. Only Moses ascends. The people, men and women, their children, their livestock, are warned not to walk upon it all. To do so means certain death. And so out there, in such a lonely place, surrounded by thunder and lightning, the mountain itself shaking, God speaks directly to Moses. But in the hearing of the people, it's a powerful and dramatic moment. The people are terrified. 
But Jesus, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, is completely, it's in a completely different situation. He's a man speaking directly to, to the people's ordinary, everyday experiences. And so when Jesus speaks these words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he is reminding his listeners that nothing has changed, that everything God told the people on Sinai would be honoured and fulfilled. But the Jews of Jesus' time in Matthew were a settled and established nation, a nation occupied and ruled over by the greatest empire the world had known, the Roman Empire. And Jesus speaking 1,500 years later reminds his listeners of who they are. It's an incredible moment in which Jesus takes the commandments and speaks directly to the people's everyday knowledge and experience. Jesus was reminding his listeners of something they, they knew all too well, that sin is more than just action. Sin is also thought. He tells them that the action of murder first begins with thought. And thoughts like anger, hate or jealousy or greed against a fellow brother or sister is a sin and liable to judgment and condemnation. There's a poem from the Songs of Innocence by William Blake. It's called A Poison Tree. I was angry with my friend. I, was told, I told my wrath, and my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not, my wrath did grow. And I watered it in fears, night and morning with my tears. And I sunned it with smiles and with soft, deceitful wiles. And it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright. And my foe beheld it shine and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole when the night had veiled the pole. In the morning, glad I see my foe outstretched beneath the tree. Jesus knows that human anger is difficult for people to control. This emotion is so powerful, it can easily lead us sin to sin. The Poison Tree by William Blake writes of a narrator who is angry with his neighbour. It begins with a thought, anger. The anger is thought about all the time by the narrator. It's kind of fed. So that by the end of the poem, anger had grown and developed. It had transformed into action. The narrator of the poem is at least responsible for the death of his neighbour. An evil act had grown out of thought. And if we're serious about spring cleaning our lives in preparation for Easter, we need to remind ourselves that sin is not just action. Actions have their beginnings in thoughts and attitudes towards our family members, towards friends, towards neighbours, towards strangers.
I've never been very good at confronting anger. Not many of us really are, are we? Years ago, I became really angry at my brother-in-law. I decided to confront him, man to man, face to face. But for one reason or another, we, we couldn't agree on a place or time to meet. I just had to hold on to my anger that burned inside me. After a few days, I decided to write to him. This was years before the internet and word processors. I had to write it out by hand. It took ages. At last, I'd finished it. I'd managed to express my anger and demand an apology. Nothing else could satisfy that pain and hurt I felt. I showed it to my mother. She pointed out some errors, and I quickly realized I was going to have to write the whole letter out again by hand. As I wrote, I... Remember, I felt that I was carving each word out of the page with an anger that would draw blood. When I'd finished it, I read it through, but noticed I'd missed out a crucial sentence. And I realized I was going to have to write it all out again. When I'd finished, I read it through to make sure everything was all right. And would you believe it? I found another mistake. I knew I was going to have to write the whole thing out yet again. How frustrating. How tedious and boring. So I started writing it all out by hand and again for the third time. But actually my anger and sense of injustice just disappeared. And incredibly, I began to see things from my brother-in-law's perspective. And I just didn't feel angry anymore. This was anger on a personal level, but anger needs to be dealt with on an international level as well. Have you heard of the West Eastern Divine Orchestra or the Said Baranboim Academy? The orchestra was set up in 1999 by Daniel Barenboim, a world-famous Jewish Argentinian pianist and conductor, and Edward Said, an American-Palestinian Muslim academic. The orchestra was set up for young people born in Israel who came from both Muslim and Jewish descent. Its aims include equality, cooperation, and justice for all. It plays concerts throughout the world. Its aims include, sorry, the orchestra plays throughout the whole of the Middle East, including a landmark concert in Ramallah in 2005. Ramallah a Palestinian city in Israel's West Bank. It's a de facto capital city of Palestine. These concerts have been steps towards fulfilling its aspirations of peace between the Palestinian and Israeli people 
the orchestra represents an alternative image of the one that dominates the Middle East right now, characterised by conflict and violence. As we continue to spring clean our lives this Lent, let's be inspired by the West Eastern Divan Orchestra and other such organisations worldwide that recognise the destructive force of anger and work to create positive alternatives. <laughs>